Father, we love you. We are ever grateful for everything that this day means and represents. Father, I ask for your strength to uh, get me through this. I ask that you watch over your children this evening as we remember and honor sacrifice of your precious son, Jesus. Father, I just pray that tonight we can feel your love that you've displayed for us, not only on the cross, but day in and day out, the way, the way you relate to each and every one of us. Well, I just pray that we are all touched by the words written in your scripture. I pray that we come with you with hearts of repentance, with grateful hearts, thankful for the free gift of eternal life that's only made possible through your son, Jesus Christ. Father, we love you. We love your son, and it's in his precious and holy name that we pray, amen. This day uh, hits different uh, of all the days of the year. Uh, this day is a special day. I wish uh, I was talking uh, to my buddy uh, from Canada last night and uh, talking about Good Friday plans and uh, he was talking that they have a uh, Good Friday service in the morning. I was like, well, don't people have to work tomorrow? He's like, no, it's actually pretty standard for people in Canada for everybody to get the day off. And man, I wish, I wish we had that privilege uh, here where we all could take the day off and, and reflect on the love of God and the love of our precious son, Jesus Christ. As a uh, Growing up, I was a pretty emotional uh, boy, uh, but a lot of people, when they have kids, that's when the emotions start to come. For me, when I had Ezra, he sucked up all the emotion uh, from me, uh, and hardly an emotional guy anymore, but uh, it, it's an emotional day, and, and what we remember and honor today as God's precious children, as our brother, uh, Christ Jesus, was hung on that cross. So it's quite a stark contrast to where we left off this past Sunday. If you were here with us this past Sunday, we celebrated Palm Sunday, the occasion in which Jesus triumphantly entered the city of Jerusalem. And oftentimes as we read the story of Palm Sunday, uh, we may, it can kind of be portrayed as this cute little parade where Jesus rode on a cute donkey into the city of Jerusalem. Uh, but this past Sunday, we highlighted the magnitude of this event. This isn't just some cute little parade as Jesus was entering the, the city of Jerusalem. The stakes were at an all-time high. Jesus entered Jerusalem on the Sunday leading up to Passover. Jesus made this 80-plus mile journey to Jerusalem knowing that this is a place where he was going to be mocked, 
He knew he was going to be flogged or scourged, and he knew that he was to be crucified in the city of Jerusalem. Yet he made this 80-plus mile journey into the city of Jerusalem. And as I mentioned, this was a Sunday leading up to Passover, and it was required that uh, Jewish males come to the city of Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. So Jews from all over the area were coming to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. It's thought that there were at least 2.5 million Jews at Passover just 30 years after Christ. So we, we, weren't, we aren't talking about a small gathering of people, a cute little parade that Jesus triumphantly entered the city of Jerusalem. The stakes were an all-time high. And so Jesus, as he was entering the city of Jerusalem, knowing that this was the location where he was going to be crucified, he rode into the city riding on a donkey or on a colt, uh, fulfilling the prophecy of Zechariah 9.9. He was stating to to the people present at this uh, large parade that, hey, I am he. I am the Messiah. I am the Christ that God has promised long, long ago. And so the crowds were shouting, Hosanna, which means save us, save us now. Hosanna to the son of David. The, the crowds present there, the Jews, they would have been very, uh, they, they, they would have had on, on the forefront of their mind the prophecy in 2 Samuel 7, where God promises to David that his offspring would establish a throne, a kingdom, a nation that would last forever. And so here the Jews were proclaiming, save us now, Jesus. You are the son of David. You are the Messiah. You are the man that we have been waiting thousands of years for. And he's finally here in the city of Jerusalem his final resting place before we get to Sunday. And so a lot transpired from uh, this past Sunday, uh, Palm Sunday, and, and the events that transpired today on Good Friday. And so after Jesus triumphantly entered the city of Jerusalem, he went to the temple and saw people buying and selling. Now Jesus was coming from the east, uh, so we can assume he would be entering Jerusalem from the eastern gate. If that were the case, then one of the first things that he would have seen as he entered the city was people buying and selling at the temple. And they turned his father's house of prayer into a den of robbers. They were selling animals. <laughs> I've made this comment before, but you know what animals do? They poop. Yeah, they poop. Their poop scatter all throughout God's temple. And so Jesus was enraged and he flipped the tables and drove the people out as he made his father's house of prayer a den of robbers. And so Monday and Wednesday, uh, we, all we see recorded in the scriptures, Jesus spending time teaching his disciples and those around him. There is actually a lot of teachings from the week leading up to his death recorded in the scriptures. As these would have been very, very valuable words. These are the teachings that Jesus thought those close to him needed to know before he eventually died on come Friday. So that's Monday uh, through Wednesday. Then Thursday rolls along. And now Jesus celebrated the Passover with his disciples and what is known as the Lord's Supper or Last Supper. And now Passover was an extremely important Jewish celebration. Uh, and it was a celebration of God passing over and sparing the firstborn Israelites during the great Exodus that we can read about in the book of Exodus. 
It was at this meal that Jesus washed his disciples' feet. He gave an example for them to follow, to be a servant, lead, by, lead with a servant's heart. And now while they were all seated there together uh, at the Lord's Supper, Jesus revealed that one of his disciples, his closest followers, was going to betray him. And he revealed that it was Judas. Judas of Iscariot was going to betray Jesus. In the midst of this intimate moment, the night before, or the evening before his crucifixion, and we don't know when God revealed this information to Jesus, but Jesus made aware to his disciples as well that one of them amongst them was going to betray him. And on top of that, in this emotional meal, he also told all of his disciples that they would all fall away uh, from him this very night. You know, Peter, I, I love Peter. He has a heart on fire. And so Peter replies, even though they all fall away, I will not. I will not, Jesus. I will stay with you. Jesus replies, before the rooster crows, you will deny me not once, not twice, but three times. And so before morning comes, Less than 24 hours, he's going to be betrayed by one of his disciples. All 12 of his disciples are going to fall away. And what I perceive to be Jesus' best friend, Peter, is going to deny him three times. And so after this emotional, intimate meal that Jesus shares with his disciples celebrating uh, the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John with him to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. These are his three closest disciples. And three times they fall asleep on him when he asks them to pray. And so Jesus, in the midst of praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, he prays, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Surprise. Jesus didn't want to have to suffer on the cross. He wanted another way for the sins of the world to be paid, if at all possible. However, he ultimately submitted to his Father's will. And so while Jesus was praying there in the Garden of Gethsemane the night before his crucifixion, he was sweating drops of blood. This is a very rare uh, medical condition called, you might have to excuse my pronunciation, hemothydrosis. And, and hemothydrosis is a condition in which someone sweats blood from their sweat glands under immense stress and anguish. Whereas each sweat gland has a small capillary that surrounds it, and in hemothydrosis, that capillary ruptures. It's only recorded about 12 to 14 times in, in all of medical uh, literature, uh, hemothydrosis, the, this occasion in which people actually sweat drops of blood. And this takes place when, when someone is under immense stress, immense anguish. And of course, Jesus would be under immense stress and immense anguish as he knows what is coming. He knows what is going to transpire within the next 24 hours, that the sins of the world are going to be on his shoulders. 
And so while praying, Jesus, I'm I'm imagining, still sweating, these drops of blood. Uh, Judas escorts a group to arrest Jesus in the middle of the night. And so they arrest him, and Jesus first uh, put on trial before the Jewish council. In the middle of the night, this, this was very much an illegal trial that Jesus was put under. Uh, they were not supposed to hold a trial in the middle of the night because they wanted to offer people a chance to serve as a witness. I mean, you, you, you would never see that uh, even today in, in our justice system. We, we, we don't hold these courts. We don't hold these councils in the middle of the night. It, it was an illegal proceeding that the Jews were doing to have this man killed. And it was here that uh, when Jesus was put under trial by the Jews, where his best friend, Peter, denies him not once, not twice, but three times. I forget what exactly uh, gospel it is, but one of the four gospels records where Jesus and Peter, they locked eyes as Peter denied him that third time. Oh, man. So at this Jewish council, uh, this illegal council where they're putting Jesus under trial, uh, they make the claim that he must die because Jesus said that he is the son of God. And so Jesus claiming to be the son of God, these Jews thought that it was worthy for him to die. He needed to be executed because he was claiming not necessarily to be God, but to be the son of God. And so the Jews, they spat on him, they struck him, and they slapped him all throughout this council. Uh, Not not very uh, religious things to do. And so the Jews brought Jesus before the Roman governor Pilate to do their dirty work. And so Pilate gave the crowd that that was present there, which would have been the Jews, he, he gave them a choice as was customary. Uh, They had the choice to either free Jesus or to free Barabbas, a vile criminal, a vile murderer. And the crowds present, the Jews, they chose to release Barabbas, this vile criminal. That line got me uh, in that video. It's Jesus hanging on that tree and I... I'm on this hill free. That's not supposed to be the case here. That's not supposed to be the case. And so Pilate then asked to these Jews present what he should do with Jesus. And the crowd shouted, crucify him, crucify him. Less than one week ago, the crowds were shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna to the son of David, save us. Save us. Now less than a week later, they're yelling, crucify him, crucify him. And then in Matthew chapter 27, we read, uh, in my eyes, uh, probably the most disgusting verse recorded in the scriptures. In Matthew chapter 27, starting in verse 24, Matthew records, So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. And all the people answered, His blood be on us and on our children. 
oh, that is terrible. They, 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 they are pleading for the blood of Jesus to be on them and on their children. I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemies. But here they're, they're, they're yelling, all these people uh, present answered his blood be on us and on our children. Then he released for them Barabbas and having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. And so after all the, the, this crowd present uh, is yelling, crucify him, crucify him. And Pilate saying, hey, I'm washing my hands uh, clean of this man's blood. And these Jews present, they exclaim, his blood be on us and on our children. So then Pilate then uh, releases him uh, to the Roman soldiers and the Roman soldiers uh, scourge Jesus. Now, uh, the scourging, this was a Roman judicial penalty that consisted of a severe beating with a uh, multi-lashed whip with bits of bone and metal. And so the Romans, they would whip these criminals and, and these pieces of bone and metal would dig into the skin and, and, and it would take chunks of skin when they drew it back. And unlike Jewish law, which had a maximum of 40 lashes, Roman law did not provide for limits. By Jesus' time, there was a longstanding rule that free Roman citizens would not receive this punishment. For they deserve better. The most vile uh, free Roman citizens deserve better than having been scourged by Roman soldiers. This was reserved for foreigners, slaves, and then the gladiators as well. It was too harsh for the common free Roman citizen. Now, the Gospels aren't very clear on how many times uh, Jesus was lashed with the scourge, uh, but once is enough. Once is more than enough. And so we continue here in, in verse 27 of chapter 27. And Matthew records, And the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters, and they gathered the whole battalion before him. And they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. And twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and put a reed in his right hand. And kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe and put his own clothes on him and led him away to crucify him. And so Jesus now subjected to the harsh treatment of the Roman soldiers. And we read in verse 27 that there was a whole battalion before him. This is usually around 600 soldiers. So this is, this is a big group of Roman soldiers here mocking the Messiah, mocking the Son of God, putting on this crown of thorns, putting on the, this scarlet or uh, purple robe on him, and then proceeding to mock him, hail, hail, king of the Jews. And they spit him and they strike him on the head as they lead him away to crucify him. So verse 32, as they went out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. They compelled this man to carry his cross. And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull, they offered him wine to drink mixed with gall, but when he tasted it, he would not drink it. And when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. Then they sat down and kept watch over him there. And over his head, they put the charge against him, against him which read, this is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. 
And so they compelled a man named Simon to carry the cross of Jesus. As Jesus, he was already severely beaten at this point. If we remember the night before, he, he was sweating. I think literally, he is literally sweating drops of blood. You, you could imagine that would drain your strength, that would drain your energy. On top of that, he was severely beaten by the Roman soldiers in this flogging, in this scourging that, that they partook of this innocent man. And on top of all that, it appears that he's been awake for over 24 hours at this point. Probably closer to 30 or 36 hours, he, he's had zero sleep. And so this is a man with very little strength left in his body. And so this man of Cyrene named Simon carries this cross for Jesus. And the soldiers then divided up the garments of Jesus by casting lots to fulfill the prophecy in Psalm 22. That's incredible to me. That throughout this harsh Roman execution, God is revealing to the people that, hey, he is the Messiah. These Roman soldiers were fulfilling prophecies written over hundreds of years ago to the T. God is using the bad guys to fulfill prophecy. He's using the bad guys to show that this is his son. This is his chosen one. So then Pilate had inscribed on his cross, this is Jesus, the king of the Jews. I love it. Uh, in one of the other gospels, uh, it records where the Jews asked uh, Pilate for it, not to read that this is Jesus, king of the Jews, but rather that it read, he said he is the king of the Jews. But Pilate said, no, 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 enough of this. And inscribed on the cross reads, this is Jesus, the king of the Jews. And so Jesus then was hung on that cross with two criminals on his side the types of people that should have been present there hanging on that cross. And so in verse 39, and those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him saying he saved others, he cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he desires him. For he said, I am the son of God. The robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. And so the, the, this Roman uh, crucifixion, it was meant to be a humiliating process. And, and no doubt people would get mocked and jeered while, while they were hanging on that cross. And the same took place with God's Messiah, God's Christ, Jesus. As Jesus was hanging on that cross, the people had no sympathy for him. They didn't have any empathy for him. They were mocking him while he was hung up on that cross. And it's not just the common people who are engaging in this mockery of Jesus. It is the chief priests. It's the scribes and elders. It's the highest sect of the Jews partaking in this mockery of God's Messiah. The exact 
Messiah that these chief priests and scribes and elders have been looking for. And here they're mocking him on the cross, saying, if you are the son of God, come down from the cross. Save yourself. Save yourself. He saved others. He cannot save himself. He trusts in God like God. Deliver him now if he desires him. And so verse 45, Matthew continues, now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the other said, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And so from the other gospels, we can see that Jesus hung on the cross from about 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. And then uh, from the sixth hour, which is about noon, uh, there was darkness over all the land until three o'clock. And so Jesus, as he's hanging on this cross with with nails uh, piercing his hands, some believe uh, the wrists on both sides and his feet as well, he's crying out to his father, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then the soldiers offered him sour wine to fulfill the prophecy in Psalm 69. I love it again, God using the bad guys to assure the people that, hey, to assure to us that, hey, this is the Messiah. This is my chosen one. And so Jesus cried out again, and John records that he said, it is finished. And then he breathed his last Now, when hanging by uh, the arms on a cross, victims' uh, body, uh, they would sag. And the diaphragm drops uh, into the abdomen, and it pulls in air. And so someone hanging on the cross would actually have no difficulty pulling in air to the lungs. The tough part was breathing out. In order to exhale, They would have to pull up against the spikes, against the nails with their hands and push up against the the spikes with their feet. So every time that God's Messiah took a breath, his beaten back after the scourging would would, would rub up against the rough edges of the cross, having to pull up against the, the spikes in his feet and in his hands. Now, I want everybody, uh, just for a second here, to put your hand right in front of your face, in front of your mouth. And I just simply want you to say, it is finished. Yeah. When you're talking there with your hand right in front of your mouth, you'll feel the breath coming out of your mouth. When we talk, we are exhaling. And so every word spoken by Jesus on that cross it's him having to push up to exhale that air. And to me, that illuminates all the more just how precious these words are. How precious. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Or Father, forgive them. For his last words, it is 
finished. Verse 51, and behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook, and the rocks were split. Catch this. The tombs also were open, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. When the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, truly, this was the Son of God. And so Jesus, he's pushing up on, on these stakes, and, and he exclaims, it is finished, and he breathes his last. All of a sudden, in the, in the midst of this darkness, this darkness has been covered for a few hours already, the earth shook, there was an earthquake. Matthew records that many of the saints were resurrected. This is a pretty uh, bizarre occurrence that I have a ton of questions about as, as it's not mentioned anywhere else in the scriptures. But Matthew records that, that all these saints were resurrected from the grave. And on top of that, the curtain of the temple, the, the, the temple of God, the house of prayer in which the, the people just the week prior made a den of robbers, the, the, this curtain that separated the Holy of Holies from the rest of humanity was torn from top to bottom. Because before this, the Holy of Holies, it represented God's presence among us. And in there was the Ark of the Covenant and some of the, the, the precious uh, ornaments uh, for the Israelites. And so the curtain, this, the, this very thick curtain, inches thick, this curtain was t uh, torn from top to bottom, where previously only once a year was the high priest able to enter the Holy of Holies, which is separated by this curtain. With Jesus, that curtain was torn. And now we have access to God. We have direct access to God. We can boldly approach the throne of God because that, that curtain temple was torn from top to bottom as we have direct access through our mediator, Christ Jesus. And so after witnessing all of these wonders, the centurion replied, truly, this was the son of God. And today we can know without a doubt that yes, he truly was the son of God. So this past, uh, these past couple of weeks, we've been taking a look at what makes a good story. We, we've seen how uh, we, we need to pit a bad guy versus a good guy. Uh, two weeks ago, last week, we saw that uh, for a good story, the stakes need to be at all-time high. And today, uh, we, we focus on another element often used in a good story is love. People love a good love story. And here on Good Friday, we remember and honor the greatest love story of all. That the Son of God would lay down his life for you. That is love. Jesus endured a tremendous amount of suffering. Suffering that was not just. As Jesus was hung up on that cross, 
But Barabbas was on that hill free. And that should have been Barabbas up on that cross. And so why would Jesus go through an unjust, harsh execution? I think that answer is twofold. I think he would go through this intense execution. One, because he loves us, because he loves you, because he loves me. And two, because I think he loves his heavenly father, his God, Yahweh. It's very evident throughout his ministry that Jesus had a deep care and a deep love for the people that he interacted with. You, you see that flooded throughout the entire Gospels. And all the more, it's evident that Christ Jesus had a deep love for his Father. He sought to please God with his whole life. The night before his crucifixion, as he was praying to God, he asked God for there to be another way. He asked for this cup to pass from him. But nevertheless, Jesus said, not what I will, Father, but what you will. Jesus' life was all about pleasing his heavenly Father out of the love that he had for God. So that makes me wonder, that makes me question, if it wasn't necessarily the will of Jesus, if Jesus wanted another way for this to make possible, yet he submitted to God's will, this must have been God's will. Isaiah talks about this in the Suffering Servant Songs, where it's God's will for him to be pierced and crushed for our transgressions and for our iniquities. And so that makes me wonder, why in the world would God want his precious son, Jesus, to suffer on the cross? And I think that answer is found in probably the most well-known uh, Bible verse, uh, at least in Western civilization, John three sixteen and 17. For Jesus talking to Nicodemus here in John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So everything that we remember and honor today is due to the love of God. All the forgiveness that we receive on the cross is due to the love of God. All the grace that we receive from the cross is due to God's love for you. All the mercy that we receive on the cross is due to God's love for you. And this promise of eternal life, of a day and age where everything wrong, this world will be made right, is due to God's love for you. You are loved by God. And I hope that you see that with clear eyes as we remember and honor Good Friday today. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Father, we can't even begin to imagine the love that you have for us, that it was your will to have your precious son, Jesus, 
pierced and crushed and crucified for us. Father, we recognize there is no greater act of love in all of history. And Father, we just give you thanks that we are on the receiving end of that greatest act of love. So Father, I just pray that we as a church, we reflect the love that you have for us and to those around us. We love you. We love your son, Jesus, who hung on that cross. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.